The life of a traveling preacher can be tough, I know, because I've done it. But at least I had a vehicle to take me from place to place. Jesus had to walk. And he walked through hills and mountains and through rain and snow all day. And then he tried to wrap up in his outer garment, curled up on the ground, try to get some sleep. Then get up with the sun and do it all again. At this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus had been ministering in Judea. He was done with that work and wanted to go to Galilee. So he had to go through Samaria to take a detour. would use a lot of unnecessary time. So in that middle of that journey, back to Galilee, they're running out of food and Jesus is exhausted. So his disciples leave him there at the well and go off in search of food and they're gone for some time. Morning comes and goes and Noontime, it's the heat of the day, and then there comes a woman with a heavy water pot that she's carrying. And nobody does that kind of work at noon. I mean, have you ever carried water? A gallon weighs eight pounds. And these water pots that we're talking about, in that point in history, there were five gallons or more, so the pot's heavy. And after she fills it, it'll be another 40 pounds at least. And in that culture, the women carried the water jar, water pot on their shoulder, or some would on their head. That's a specialized skill. I'm not sure everybody can even do that. And it's hard work. You know, in America today, a typical family can use hundreds of gallons of water without even realizing it, almost effortlessly. We turn on a tap, <laughs> turn it off. What if you had to carry all that water? And then what if you had farm animals? I mean, I'm amazed at how much a cow can drink, just one of them. So this is adding up to a lot of work. And why do it at noon in the heat of the sun? The topic of John chapter 4 is people coming to Christ. And I've done a lot of evangelism, like one-on-one, -on -one, personal evangelism in hard-hit areas, different neighborhoods in town. And you don't go there in the early morning. No one's awake yet. You don't even go there at noon. Because people aren't up and about at noontime, afternoon or early evening. That's when people are awake. But then you have to leave before it gets too late. You don't go there at 10 p.m. or midnight because people are intoxicated and there's just no use trying to, to share the gospel with them. And, and some get angry, others want to fight. And of course I'm speaking in general terms, individuals are different. But just from what I know, personal evangelism, early afternoon is prime time. That's when it's done. And a lot of people have speculated, why, why is this woman doing this hard work at noon, would it make more sense to, to go early in the morning? And some have speculated that maybe she was so ashamed of herself that she didn't even want to see anybody else. So she went at a time that she thought no one else would be there. And that seems plausible to me. And, and the story rings true that you have an exhausted 
evangelist sitting on side of a well, side of the road. I mean, I've done that. Street preaching. So many needs. Homeless ministry, so many needs. And then you're tired and there's no benches, no chairs. You sit on whatever's available. Just The story just rings true. And then, you know, early afternoon you have this social outcast searching for God while trying to avoid all human contact. So John chapter 4 teaches the seeker how to find God. And the way to God is Jesus Christ. And the same chapter also teaches us how to lead someone to Christ. John 4, verse 3, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. And he comes to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being worried with his journey, thus sat on the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples are gone away unto the city to buy meat. Give me a drink. And Jesus is showing us a simple yet powerful principle. So if you want to get inside somebody's heart and mind, how do you do that? And one way is to do them a favor or ask a favor. I mean, in the churches, we help a lot of people. And the primary reason we help people is out of love. We want to relieve suffering or promote well-being, and that has value in itself. But let's not forget the, the added benefits that go along with this, with this human interaction, friendship, relationship. What we're doing is opening the door to a person's heart and at the same time why not bring Jesus with you? And evangelism can be tough. Trying to share Christ. If you don't believe me, stand on a street corner and try to talk to people about Jesus. I mean, it can be done. It can be difficult. People often laugh or they get angry or they avoid you. You're just trying to help them. And why do they act that way? It's because they're putting up a wall. But if they come to you for help and you help them, the wall comes down. And now the gospel of Jesus can get in there and you're the messenger bringing the gospel to them. And a lot of the churches know this, ministries, individual Christians. We, we know this principle of helping someone and trying to share Christ at the same time when you have opportunity. But a lot of us have forgotten the principle that Jesus is using here and that he asks a favor. And it seems simple, but think about it. Pray about it. This could be an effective method in our culture today because Americans, we tend to be proud and rich and have everything. So a person might not come to you for help with physical needs because he doesn't need any help. He's got everything. He's wealthy or well off. So, so how do you get in if that's the case? Well, you could ask him a favor and it's disarming. So if somebody helps you, it's because they're having compassion for you. 
It means that the person has looked at you and put themselves, at least in their mind, put themselves in the same position you are, but whatever hardship or trouble, and they imagine themselves going through that same thing, so they're actually feeling what you're feeling. I mean, it's, it, they're moved by love to help you. They could offer. If they don't offer, you could ask. And in this passage, Jesus actually asks. And Jesus said, those who help the saints will get a great reward. For example, Matthew 10, verse, 20, uh, verse 40. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. So that's valuable in itself. People help you. In the name of Jesus, they'll get the reward. Why, while you're there, why don't you tell them that Jesus loves them and they can be saved. They can have a whole new life. They can go to heaven. So let's move on to the next principle in our text. John 4, verse 9. Then he said to the woman of Samaria, I'm sorry, then said the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So our translation here is correct, but we have to look into a little bit to get the understanding. In one sense, the, the Jews and the Samaritans at that time did have some dealings. I mean, the rabbis were busy, or some of them, like the Pharisees, were, were loading on more and more regulations. So later in history, they would say, Oh, a Jew can't even buy food from a Samaritan, for example. But at this point in history, they could. So what she's talking about is he's, he's asking to get a drink from her. It would have to be from that pot she's carrying, right? And, she, and according to the rabbis, this was a misinterpretation of the law of Moses. But the rabbis were saying that Jews couldn't use drinking vessels or plates or any utensils that Samaritans had used. So she's saying, how, how can you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from my vessel? And it was just false teaching from certain rabbis at that time. And here's, here's the devil trying to build walls between people or try to make people feel bad. Oh, the Samaritans, supposedly they're dirty, right? So we can't use a vessel they, they drank out of it, right? So the devil's building up walls. Jesus is knocking them down. And he had a price to pay, ultimately, the cross. But he's making friends with her. It's surprising. It just wasn't done. That, that sort of personal level of friendship. Just simple human friendship. So we learn the principle of helping someone. And that's good, but now it gets better. We can make friends with people. And yeah, we have to be careful, especially if someone has a lot of problems. If someone comes to Christ, starts a whole new life in Christ, then I could have a close friendship with him. 
If, if he doesn't, if he doesn't want to accept Christ yet, if he's still living that old life, then, then I can only go so far. I have to be careful. But even so, I'm making myself vulnerable. I could still get hurt. I mean, even, even if I'm careful, I, I could get hurt. But Jesus got hurt. Isaiah, in Isaiah, Jesus is called the man of sorrows. But it's worth it. If it's done in wisdom, it bears fruit. And people come to Christ and get saved. John 4, verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knew the gift of God and who it is that said to thee, Give me a drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which giveth so well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. So here's our next principle that Jesus is teaching us, where he's deliberately steering the conversation to spiritual things. You might go out in the world and try to make friends with someone that doesn't know Christ. And you can talk about the weather and the price of beans in China. You can talk and talk about a lot of things. And that has value. Just being someone's friend that might not have a friend. That has value. I'm not saying it doesn't. A lot of people just need a friend, right? But if you're going to share Christ with them, at some point, you've got to deliberately... <laughs> steer the conversation to spiritual things. And yeah, it takes courage. It might take practice. It might seem a little awkward at first. Can you do it? You can learn how to do it. God will show you how. And Jesus is showing us here. He doesn't just talk about worldly things. He started that way. He's talking about water. But then he's talking about that living water. And there's a transition John 4, 15, And the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that said thou truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive... That thou art a prophet. Amen. Yes, and more than a prophet. So the woman needed help. And there's many others. If we took a map and made this point the middle and drew a circle ten miles out, there's thousands, tens of thousands of people. Lost people that need help. Their lives make no sense. They're broken, hurting. Their lives have become unmanageable. Our prisons in America are full and overflowing. And we can't seem to build prisons fast enough, so they let out serious offenders just for lack of room. And we can't build enough mental hospitals or rehabs, it seems. And I, I think our great civilization is teetering and getting ready to fall over. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But no matter what does happen, let's be good stewards of the resources God has given us. And let's... Use these tools the way God said to rather than make up our own methods 
Let's do what Jesus did. Let's do what God tells us to do. So here's the thing. What drives men and women to Christ is the law. It's how sinners see that they need a savior. We might not like doing it. The law teaches us about the penalty of breaking it. Ultimately death. Spurgeon called the law the black dog that fetches men to the shepherd. So not a beautiful angel in his picture, but a black dog. And I actually like to read an excerpt of his his message. It was sermon number 1325. Delivered on the Lord's Day morning, November 19th. 1876 by C.H. Spurgeon. And here's his text. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Romans 10.4. And he starts off. The law is meant to lead the sinner to faith in Christ by showing the impossibility of any other way. It is the black dog to fetch the sheep to the shepherd. The burning heat which drives the traveler to the shadow of the great rock in a weary land. Look how the law is adapted for this. For first of all, it shows man his sin. Read the Ten Commandments and tremble as you read them. Who can lay his own character down side by side with the two tablets of divine precept without at once being convinced that he's fallen far short of the standard? When the law comes home to the soul, it is like light in a dark room, revealing the dust and dirt which had else been unperceived. I'm not going to preach this whole sermon, but he's right. Churches in America today, Christians, ministries, we've largely abandoned this principle of teaching the law and replaced it by the false gospel of, of hyper grace. And the truth is not everyone goes to heaven. And to receive grace, the person has to come to Christ. And the law shows him his need for Christ. You just can't tell him that he needs to be saved. Saved from what? He thinks he's a good person. You can't just tell him he's going to hell. He doesn't believe it. He thinks, well, good people go to heaven. I'm good. So men and women need to hear the law. They need its spiritual principles. And teaching it can be hard work. Jesus said as much. It's later on in this chapter. Chapter 4, verse 35. Say not ye, there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields, for they are white to harvest. He that reapeth receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one sows and another reap. I send you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labors. Other men labored, and you're entered into their labors. So for centuries before Christ, you had people teaching the law. So when Christ came, there could be a great revival. So many years of, of that, that hard work being done. Yes, it's difficult. And sin is ugly. Nobody likes to mention it. But do you love your neighbor? Do you see him suffering? Do you love your neighbor if you never mention the root cause? Never? And some people might say it's not polite. Or do you let your neighbor suffer through this life and ultimately die young and go to hell 
for, for uh, fear of being rude. But Leviticus 19.17 says, 19, says, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any way rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Ecclesiastes 7.5 says, It is better to hear the rebuke of a wise man than for a man to hear the song of fools. Proverbs 27.5, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So let's say your friend's ruined in his life. And you know why, because you've read the Bible, and you want to be wise in God's, God's sight, and a good steward, and a faithful friend. So you pray about it. And you do your best to, to season it with salt. And, and then maybe, fearfully at first, you, you try you try your best to, to share what the Bible says on the subject. And, and what's going to happen next? Uh, will, he think, will he think you're rude? Will he get angry? Will he, will he leave? If he's a friend of yours, will he befriend you? Well, he might. But then again, we don't know. He might receive it the first time. Even if he gets angry and storms off, he's likely going to think about it. That's the thing about the scriptures. It's not my word or your word. It's God's eternal word. He'll be thinking about it. In the end, likely he'll realize you're right. And then what? Then what likely will come to his heart is that this friend loved me enough to, to tell me something I didn't want to hear. And he probably knew I was going to get angry at him. He did it anyway. He loved me that much. And he gave me true wisdom. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So if we keep reading in John chapter 4, we see that the woman gets saved. At least that's our expression now. John 4, 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things I ever did. Is this not the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. So many Samaritans got saved on that day. It was a great revival. And it wasn't because Jesus had taken the time to plan out this extensive evangelism program. The text said he was just passing through. He was going from one place to another. And he spent zero dollars. <laughs> Look at the scripture. I mean, a little country church like this, I'm going to be thinking, oh, oh we, we can't make a, a big impact for, for the, in the world because we, we don't have tons of money. We can't have like a fancy TV program and all the flash and all that stuff. Really? <laughs> Let's not get discouraged. Jesus spent no money. In fact, he was so poor... They didn't have food or water. In fact, the whole thing started when he's so needy, he has to ask the woman for a drink. So think about that. That tells me we don't need money. What we need is the Bible and to learn what it says and start believing it again. Because the time of revival is here. The time is now. And God's asking... Whom shall I send? 
And can you hear His voice this morning? And if you do, if you hear His voice, can you call back? In fact, that's our closing hymn. Number 589. Here I am, Lord. Lord.